0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, along with Captain Ron Nielsen, as we talk about how to overcome the fear of flying. Captain, when people are afraid of flying, what seems to be the major issue that scares them?
0: Uh, Two things, or three things. One is takeoff. Um, because there's a lot of sights, sounds, and sensations that they don't understand. Two is turbulence. And then three, they often report landing. But but landing, not, not in the sense you think of, of touching down. Landing, when we do an aborted landing, aborted approach, or we, we get down there and for whatever reason, we, we do a, execute a go-around and we take it around the pattern and, and try it again. So those are the three things that primarily frighten people. And then, and then another category all by itself is just being confined and trapped you know the underlying reason is control through through any of the the manifestations of fear of flying but, but uh, stepping into that cockpit that that cabin of the airplane and realizing that you know there is a point at which you can't easily get off the airplane that uh, freaks a lot of people out
1: as a captain have you ever been in a situation where you personally were scared
0: <laughs> only, only the ones I created. I didn't manage my way out of them. Uh, <laughs> and there, there's a lot of truth to that, but the, you know my, that's a common question that people say. What's the thing that scares you, Cameron? And uh, and nothing. You know, I I think. When, you, when you're in a job, you, you know, you may have experiences in a car where you, you, you're thrust into a, a compromising situation and you're so intent on, on maneuvering your car and doing what you need to that you do what you're trained to do or what comes naturally to you. You don't sit there and, and think about it. Uh, you know, you just fly the airplane. And I'm not seriously uh one of the big issues with flying is it really really becomes routine and boring you know we we, the only thing the only time we really get hazardous uh, uh challenges is in the simulator
1: ever see a ufo up there by the way ron I have not I would love to i would
0: i would have so i 'm the guy that 's going to get on if they if they open the ramp and, and <laughs> invite us out here. Uh, i I'm fascinated by the whole concept, and I wished you know i've seen some phenomenal uh things in the cosmos at night when you 're flying and, and you're up over the the Rockies in the west and you can, you can see few to none of the ground lights there, and all you 've got is the glorious sky above you. Uh, when hale Bop Comet was up mm-hmm. there, I remember a of trips I had, and it, it was just like a personal showing. But uh, I have not had an experience where I've seen something that I could not explain.
1: How about your colleagues? Anybody ever get back to you and say, you won't believe what I saw?
0: You know, not... Not in, in my career, per se. When I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy at a summer program down in, in, uh, out of Tucson, Arizona, and there was a, <clears throat> one of the fighter pilots down there, a veteran of, from Vietnam flying the, the F-4 Phantom at the time. He said they, they were coming back from one of the ranges about sunset, and he saw some lights off to the, to the, to the uh, south of him that he, he couldn't explain. But that's the, that's the closest I've ever been.
1: In inclement weather, what grounds a plane? What kind? What kind of inclement weather will do that?
0: Uh, you, I think what you're talking about is 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 what shuts the airport down because right. if the airport's we're going to fly. Uh, when you think about um, inclement weather, I mean, normally what comes to mind me is cold weather, snow, ice, and things like that. So we can't take off if there's any any uh, hazardous uh, coatings like like ice or snow. Or frost, even on the top of the wing. Um, once you get in flight, you don't need to worry about the tops of the of the surfaces here, because the only place you're going to get any buildup. Is on the leading edges, and, and we That's bleed right. air off of the the engines uh, at about 400 degrees. Run that out through ductwork in the leading edge of the wings, and it and it it uh, is both serves as anti ice. It means that it won't allow ice to build up, and and if we had it off, and we we built up a little bit of ice, that we we can de ice. We can turn that on, and, and literally in about a second and a half, everything disappears. But the but the term the the runway and all that. We have uh, it's a fascinating question by a lot of people. You know, we keep the Runway, they keep the runways clean. Um, they close down runways to plow them and, and keep them open. Uh, and, and we have trucks. Uh, vehicles that are that are equipped with accelerometers, so they can actually measure the coefficient of friction, which we then program into our landing distances <clears throat> and stopping distances, which affects our our the payload that we can carry. But uh, we adjust the payload basically when when there's limitations like slipper runways and things like that.
1: I fly to Denver once a month. As a matter of fact, I'm flying right after the show tonight, sure. and uh, I go out there to take a couple TV shows every month. Uh-huh. And that airport is so prone, Ron, to canceling flights at a whim. If there's yeah. a heavy storm that's not even there yet, they'll cancel. How come?
0: Uh, well, mainly it's an, it's an operational consideration by the airlines so that they don't end up with 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 you know they might they might. Uh, if they leave too many flights in operation, they get them up there knowing or having a good idea that the the airport's going to is going to close or it's going to have its its ability to to handle uh, so many airplanes per hour limited severely. Then they get stuck the next day. They don't have them where they need them. Another. Uh, uh, places in the in the country and so what they'll do is they'll is they'll route people around so the the people who are going to suffer the most are the people that were local traffic like you going into denver and they're not going to let you in there but if you let's say you were going through denver on your way to chicago for example on whatever carrier you chose they're going to run you through dfw maybe or or uh, kansas city or something like that so but it, but they do it mainly to keep keep the rest of the system, uh, keep people moving. Uh, I, I flew out of Denver for 10 years, and I know exactly what you mean. Yep. Uh, re- we always could count on one major storm over the Thanksgiving or Christmas holidays. Uh, I spent <laughs> one Thanksgiving <laughs> in Portland, Wyoming having a pizza and a beer. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, so it was a memorable occasion. But uh, yeah, we, we Denver is notorious for, for storms that come down through, go raging down, and you get this big Big cold fronts from the north run into that moist air from the Gulf and, and, uh, and just snows for hours over, over Denver and, and uh, makes it miserable.
1: When you are landing, do you need to see out the windshield?
0: You don't anymore. With the, with the technology now, it is incredible. I, in fact, when you wouldn't even think of getting in your car and driving across the Walmart parking lot, uh, we can land an airplane and uh, wow. we do that because we because of the system and the automation now and and what we've what we've become as pilots, we obviously still have to have the skills to take off and land and do all the things in an airplane. But now what, what has been added with automation is the ability to monitor systems. So so let's say we're, we're at, a, at a point about five miles from the runway is one of the key points in the profile of landing in, in inclement weather where the visibility is, is severely restricted. And so I'm looking for, for progress lights on my instrument panel. And, and I so, the, so one will, go green the next one will be amber until it's captured and then it'll go green and if any anywhere along that path before I get down to to what we call minimums very close to the runway if if everything's in sequence I'm going to go ahead and the airplane is actually going to land itself and stop on the runway if I have got auto land selected huh. if it doesn't meet that criteria by the time I get down to whatever my pre pre Approved approach minimums are I'm going to execute a go-around And then I'm either going to, depending on my fuel I'm either going to come back around, take another shot at it If the, if the weather has improved mm-hmm. Or I'm going to go to my
1: alternate I've been in heavy turbulence Definitely not as much as you have Could the wings ever Snap off because of no, turbulence They know, can't
0: it, it, it makes a dramatic screen screen you know <laughs> Copy for a
1: movie but Or oh, your but next book
0: yeah, for my next book there you go turn into a fiction writer but it it's you know I tell people and and you know as you know it's nothing can make you feel so out of control you look at that airplane sitting on the ramp and you know that it weighs somewhere between two hundred and, and a million pounds depending on whether you're on a wide body or not and then you get up there and in that same recollection of saying oh my god how'd that thing get in the air now you know that something can shake it like a like a a, a little toy airplane you know it must be a formidable force but really what it is it's the turbulence is created by the confluence of a, of rivers of air just like rivers on the ground Okay? And where they run together, they create turbulence. All those molecules of air bump into each other and it becomes chaotic. And that in and of itself doesn't cause us a problem. It's when we in our arrogance as human beings say, I want to get from point A to point B in a hurry. And I take my airplane at 500 miles an hour and go through that area where the air is disrupted. That's what creates the, the, the bumps that you feel on an airplane. If I can slow that airplane down to one mile an hour, you wouldn't even notice it. It'd be like sitting on the ramp and a, and a gust of wind goes by you. Yeah. So, so it's, it's the speed of the airplane going through an area where the air has been disrupted that causes the misery. And it, it's, it's annoying. That's what I teach all of my people that I work with. But it's not a threat to us.
1: Why do so many planes have problems with engines when they suck in birds? Why isn't there some kind of screen or something that blocks them?
0: Well, I, I, I would challenge the so many part, because when you look at the number, you know, every day, it, just commercial airliners around the world, there's 105,000 takeoffs and landings. And and just today, how many did you hear took in a bird? And you will hear about them, right? One of the things that is troubling to, to all my fearful flyers is that when you see articles in the news about, about the most mundane, you know, incident that happened mm-hmm. with an airplane. And the reason it is, is because it is so unusual. That's why, you know, that's why we are interested in it, because it doesn't happen all the time. So while birds get an, a lot of notice when they do something like what Sully experienced, when you realize that they're really, you know, I, I often say, tie always goes to the airplane. The bird is always a loser. And, uh, and br- engines are tested and proven, and in order to be certified, they have to ingest... Uh, a certain amount of birds, at when the engine is operating at full power, and they have to recover to within one, w- w- back to 100 percent of their th- their available thrust and RPM within one minute after the ingestion. And so, when you have something like Sully uh, in the Miracle on the Hudson, those were those were birds of a size that were not uh, anticipated, and not tested. Those right.
1: they're almost like ducks and geese. Oh, they were Canadian geese.
0: They're yeah. they're like. 20-pound birds uh, because there was a landfill off off the end of the runway there, and that's where they—that's where they feed when they're passing through on the way either north or south in the migratory pattern. And so, so birds really don't present uh, uh, much of a of a threat to us. And and the other thing that was the, uh, really unique about the miracle on the Hudson was the fact that it took out both engines. Normally, one side or the other is protected because the birds are usually transient from one side or the other to the other, and so the, the fuselage of the airplane actually. Actually shields the downwind side from the bird's perspective. From that, so he,
1: yeah, he must have flown into a huge patch of birds.
0: He did, yeah, yeah, and it just it, he said what what I saw in an interview with him. It was just it was just like a brown sky, you know, just poof, and there and they were all there. And I, I believe there were passengers that heard that hit them. So they didn't just go down the intake. They probably took a couple off of the wings and, and stuff. And, and personally, I know of only two. Two bird strikes in my twenty thousand hours of flying uh, airlines, and uh, and in in both cases it was it, one was a daytime uh, uh, probably an old fellow you know like me now lifting off the runway at at LAX we were taking off to the west like you always do there during the daytime, and I saw him lift off and before I knew it we were we were right up at lift off speed and he and I felt the 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 thud on the right down on the lower front part of the fuselage there and the next thing you know that you look for when you when that when you experience that is you look at your engine instruments and if they continue to run which they do 99.9 percent of the time you just know that you know that that bird had a, either a hell of a headache or or that was uh, you know his his next of kin would be notified but uh and the other one was coming down through eighteen thousand feet we turned the wing lights on at night and we just saw we saw just a quick flicker and a bird went by and, and so we always do a walk around after we fly after we land and the first officer went out there and he said yep we got one and he, and he hit right on the nacelle of the engine so about half of them went down through the engine and then the other half just went up over the wing and you could see the the remains up just a streak there a little bit of blood and what we do is we just call maintenance they have somebody come out and they they have some inspections that they mm-hmm. do Relatively routinely, and they look into the into the uh, critical parts of the compressors in the in the front of the engine and the turbine blades in the back. And uh, we took the airplane out the next day.
1: How do you begin to get people to overcome their fear of flying?
0: Uh you you talk to them about you know you you, you help them realize that what separates them from people sitting next to them who are not afraid is the quality and the content of their thinking. So the ultimate cure is to change the way you think. Now that's, you know, that's easier said than done, right? Because that we're talking about behavior changes when you're thinking about that. So, so there's two things about it. There's two pathways to anxiety in the human body. One is my thinking part of my brain, that, that front part that was the last part of evolution. I can, I can have a thought like you just said, you know, what about birds? What about ice? What about inclement weather? And if I don't know much about that as it relates to flying, which most non-flyers do, or, or they do not know, then you got to educate them about that. And so you can work on replacing myths with facts. So that's one pathway to anxiety. The other pathway is that part of the brain called the amygdala. And mm-hmm. that's the part that really is, is directly related to our survival instinct. And so uh, we have some fears that we are inherently afraid of. Snakes, Okay. somebody flips a garden hose in front of you. And in in the instant that you don't know whether it's a garden hose or a snake, you will react to that. And you didn't even have a a chance to think about
1: that. You recoil fast.
0: Yeah, You recoil. Exactly. It's a reflex action. And so that's the other pathway. So now I can I can have both of them cross over, you know, in in the in the the category of, of being closed up. You know that's more of a little bit of each. They're right. You, you close when they close the airplane up. You start to think, what could go wrong? Why, you know, I can't get out of here and all that. But basically, whenever you overcome your fear of flying, you've got to work on changing the way you think. And I I, I use a, 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 a analogy or analogous method called changing the story. That story you tell yourself. After all, life isn't isn't really you know determined the quality of our life by what we what happens to us, the events and circumstances. But it's about the thinking that. we're we have about those how we th- how we think about that right so you know i i am in a relationship she leaves breaks my heart and and it's the story i tell myself that makes you know determines how bad that's going to be when i'm going to get over it and things like that so so if something happens in the airplane i hear a sight a sound or a sensation that are unfamiliar to me it's the story i make up and tell myself and sometimes it's just the overwhelming feelings. And people say, Well, I don't, I don't really have a, a story that I tell myself when they close the door. But I say, Yes, you do. You feel miserable on the inside you have all this dread and perhaps you know other other strong emotions and the story that you you may unwittingly be telling yourself is if i feel this badly certainly there must be some basis for real jeopardy them that i'm in and and it's not true at all listen
1: to more coast to coast am every weeknight at 1 a.m eastern and go to coast to for more